Today, we're going to listen again to one of Jesus' parables. Not so we have more information or new ideas to believe in, but to be pushed by his story to make a decision. One of the many things I love about Jesus is how he comes to us over and over with the opportunity to begin again, to make new choices, to start over on the right paths. Jesus loved the people he taught, and when he saw them going on the wrong road, sometimes he used alarming stories to turn them around. The parable we'll look at today is jarring. It depicts a man who has really high expectations for his future, but never gets there because all at once, his plans come to an end. His strategy for finding the good life fails because all along, he was looking in the wrong place. At the heart of it for him, the problem was a matter of what he chose to value most. When it's life as usual and things are coasting along, it can be hard to see how important our choices are, how much our values impact our outcomes. But with so much of life halted, many of us have had the chance to reevaluate. I've heard it put like this, with everything on hold, I've had time to reflect, and now I see that I was giving too much time and energy to things that weren't worth it, and not enough to the things that make life worthwhile. That's not going to be me anymore. I wonder if you've had that thought too. Jesus wants us to see the power our priorities exert over who we become. And what he wants is for us to get them right, because getting them wrong can mean missing life. The parable of the rich fool is going to help us see that. It's a story Jesus told in response to a very specific request. Now, because he was such a good teacher, Jesus drew big crowds, sometimes thousands, Luke recounts an episode in which Jesus is in the midst of a huge gathering when one man from the crowd calls out with a request. And instead of brushing him aside, Jesus seizes the opportunity to teach a new lesson. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Nothing can divide a family quite like the inheritance. Who gets the stuff after the parents die? A question that routinely tears families apart. I know this because I've presided at enough funerals to see it in action. In the ancient Middle East, the expectations were clear. The older brother gets two-thirds with the details and timing worked out in the will. However, if a man dies without giving instructions, the inheritance cannot be divided until the older brother agrees to it. Which means this man from the crowd is the younger brother. And he wants Jesus to intervene. Did you notice why? To divide the family inheritance. Not to fix the family's fight, but to officially split things up. Think for a moment about the outcome 
if Jesus does what this man asks him to. Short term, he'll have some money to put his hands on, but what about down the road? What happens then between these two brothers? Jesus is looking further ahead and deeper down than this man is, and he sees a problem, and he wants to help. Jesus always wants to help, so he responds with a question. Verse 14, But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? Rabbis were often asked to settle legal disputes, so this request isn't outlandish, but Jesus' question hides a challenge in a play on words here. Arbitrator has the same Greek roots as divide. So if we were in that great big crowd, we would have heard the request, divide the inheritance, and then the question from Jesus would have sounded like, Who has appointed me to be the divider? Now think with me. Is that what Jesus was appointed to do? Divide. Anyone who reads the New Testament altogether discovers that God himself appointed a very clear role to Jesus to reconcile the world to God. And as a consequence, to reconcile people to one another, and then to hand on the ministry of reconciliation to his people. Dividing is the opposite of reconciling, which means this guy got Jesus all wrong. If he had understood who he was talking to, he would have said, Teacher, I'm locked in a dispute with my brother, and we've become enemies. Help set things right between us. Use your power to bring us together so we are friends again. And then he would have gotten his brother back and the inheritance would have worked itself out down the road. But he doesn't ask for that. Why not? It's the choice he's made. This man has decided to prioritize possessions over people. And now he's asking Jesus to authorize his choice. And Jesus will not, since he wants us to care more about getting along with our brothers than what we can get from our brothers. With Jesus, it's people over possessions. Now, at this point in the exchange, Jesus notices that the whole crowd together has begun overhearing this conversation. And what he wants is to put everyone who's there in the position of making the right decision. It's exactly what he wants for us. And so he turns to the crowd. This is verse 15. And he said to them, take care. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The truth is, life is about more than possessions. Things are less important than people. 
And even though every one of us knows this logically, we need to be told because we are gullible. Prone to believing that some thing which we can possess is more valuable than the people God has put in our lives. Which is why Jesus adds his warning, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. He knows that whenever we stand at a fork in the road, greed is going to offer an exceptionally appealing invitation to go down the wrong way. Not just once, but at every step along life's journey, this man's failure was letting his guard down against one kind of greed. And it's a threat that will put all of us in danger as long as we are alive. Now let's get some help here. This is my theological dictionary of the New Testament, volume six out of 10. I use these a lot. And every time I do, I think of my friend, Gavin Siciliano. I met Gavin in Red Bank when I was a young pastor. He loved finding old discarded things and then giving them away. The first gift he ever gave me was wrapped in a great big brown paper bag. He brought it up to the pulpit right after I finished preaching one Sunday, set it down with a clunk. I unwrapped it right there. It was an antique double-bladed fireman's axe, blood red painted over bright silver blades newly sharpened. When I saw it, I was glad he was my friend and not my enemy. The bookshelf and desk behind me both gifts from Gavin. I love those. But these books are my favorite gifts from him because they help me understand God better. When Jesus warned about greed, the word he used was pleonexia. It's the third in a family of ancient Greek words which illuminate the distorting power of things when they become more important than people. Now listen carefully to the entry. The word group means first A, having more, then B, receiving more, and finally C, wanting more. Pleonexia is wanting more after receiving more, even though you already had more. Now think about that progression with me. First, I acquire something and I have more than someone else does. That's A, having more. And I feel good when I have more than someone else. But then after some time, the pleasure wears off. And so I work out how to get some more than I have. That's B, receiving more. I do this because to reach the same level of satisfaction from that possession, I need more than I used to. And of course, you know what happens when I get more of it. That pleasure wears off too. So I'm left craving even more of that good thing. That's C, wanting more. And now I'm trapped. But by the time I notice the circle I'm in, it's already become a downward spiral. My desire expands, but my satisfaction is inversely proportional to the amount I have. That's pleonexia, a longing that keeps growing for a pleasure that keeps diminishing. Greed. 
Now, the most obvious possession that we associate with greed is money. But a person can be driven by pleonexia for almost anything. In fact, the possessions which most powerfully awaken your greed are the ones which are the least tangible. I want you to listen to this. From the first literary examples on, pleonexia is not restricted to material possessions. Greed fuels our striving for all kinds of things that we can't hold in our hands. The hunger for more power. The drive for recognition or popularity. The will to press your advantage in whatever matters to you. The insatiable search for attention. The hope that I will outdo others. The need to be superior in the metric that matters to me. Even to be ahead of another person in right conduct. That's where pleonexia does its worst. Now, listen, reflect on yourself for a moment. That's what Jesus wanted. And that's why Jesus warned against every kind of greed. Because anything you can possess, material or not, can become the diversion which takes you away from real life. And here's the fork in the road, the defining decision. Greed tempts every one of us down paths on which we give ourselves in hopes of acquiring the wrong things, only to discover that we've been fooled by false promises and we are left with nothing. That's what happens In the story Jesus tells, the parable of the rich fool, it is a stark and terrible story. But listen now, it was love that made Jesus tell it. Love for the man who was in this fight with his brother over the inheritance. Love for everyone in that crowd, each one of whom would be tempted by his own version of pleonexia. And it's love for you right now that is beneath Jesus' intention to use this experience of this time with me here to move you toward the right decision, I promise. Listen to the parable. Verse 16. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. An incredibly good year puts a man who is already wealthy in the position of having to make a decision. The growing season was so productive, there's not enough room to store his grain. What should I do with my excess? In Middle Eastern culture, when a decision like this needs to be made, trusted friends and family members are called together to talk it through. Opinions are heard. Options are weighed. If the landowner respects God, he may pray for his guidance. But in this story, the rich man speaks only to one person, himself. There's no one else invited into the decision. Verse 18, then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. 
and there I will store all my grain and my goods. Even though I don't have room for it, I will keep everything for myself. The rich man had other options. He could have thanked God for a great season, and since his barns were already full, he could have given his excess to the citizens of the surrounding villages, storing the grain in the bellies of people who might otherwise go hungry. Or he could have brought the grain to the market and accepted a lower price since the supply was so high that year, and then used the money for some outwardly helpful project. But he doesn't do that either. Instead, he decides to add the excess to the abundance he already has. After all, if he withholds the grain from the market, the price will go up as the supply goes down, increasing the value of his assets. Tear down the old barns, build bigger ones, and fill them with my abundance. In verse 19, Jesus tells us why he makes this decision. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. His choice is driven by the desire to find rest for his soul. He wants to be satisfied deep down inside. He wants to experience the good life. That's the place where he envisions himself. And he believes that he's found the path that will get him there, where all the hard work will finally pay off. The way to get there, he tells himself, is to hold on to all my excess and keep my possessions for myself. Watch what happens. Verse 20. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Two words that no one ever wants to hear from God. You fool. You traded your life for a dead end. Your decisions all along have put you on the path to nothing. And then, words that all of us will hear from God someday, this very night your life is being demanded of you. We don't like to think about it, but that is ahead of every one of us at some point. Your soul, along with everything else you possess, never really belonged to you, and one day it will be demanded of you. And in the rich fool's case, this happened before he had the chance to experience any of the future pleasure for which he had exchanged his present existence. And then God asks a question, the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Can you see what Jesus is doing with his story. That's a question about inheritance, which brings to mind the relationships between those who will be left behind when you die. Remember when Jesus is telling this parable? 
a dispute over inheritance that is dividing two brothers? The answer to God's question in Jesus' story is heartbreaking. The things that I have prepared and stored in my bigger barns will become the occasion for the future division between my own children. My excess grain will be the reason they fight with one another, dividing up over who gets what. That's what my life will have added up to. That is the legacy that comes when you prioritize possessions over people. That is a jarring story. In verse 21, Jesus adds one line of commentary. So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves, but are not rich toward God. According to Jesus, there are two different roads that you can take. Either the road of storing up treasures for yourself, prioritizing possessions, or the road of being rich toward God, which among other things always includes prioritizing people. The end of the first road is clear in Jesus' parable. Four observations. First, no one who prioritizes possessions of any kind ends up experiencing the sole satisfaction he anticipates. Whatever you become greedy for will always fail to deliver on its promises. That road disappoints every time. Second, the further you go on that path, the worse it gets. The road of greed is a miserable one. Having more and receiving more and wanting still more all for ourselves means an existence of ever more work for ever diminishing reward. Third, follow this road long enough and you will end up with nothing. Your possessions will not go with you and you will be alone. Isn't it telling that more wealth often means a bigger yard with more distance between me and my neighbors, more stuff, more separation? And then fourth, this is a statement of faith, which we believe because Jesus said it. The person who seeks to find his life in possessions will lose his life because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But then, because Jesus is gracious, the alternative road is open to everyone. And at any time, you are free to choose it. Jesus has loved you and all people by giving himself to break every barrier that would keep us from choosing true life. And since he has loved us, we are free and able to love one another, which means to prioritize people over possessions. And when we choose that, the outcome is as beautiful as the alternative is ugly. Four observations about this road. First, when you walk on this path, you become a giver 
Rather than grasping after more for yourself, you are on the lookout for how to give. Like my friend, Gavin. Giving just for the sake of blessing others, no strings attached. And I bet my friend Gavin has no idea how much better my life is because he was a giver. When you walk on this road, you look like Jesus, who is God giving himself in person. That's first. And then second, this road is pleasant now, not later. And the more you walk on it, the better it gets. Not only when you get more later on, if you think of it, more is never enough by definition, but enough is always just that, enough, and therefore truly satisfying. And when I value people more than things, then I can take pleasure in the people around me just because of who they are and in myself too. And there's joy in that choice. And then third, when I put people first, I'm free from the tyranny of things. Those who possess a lot will often find that they are the ones possessed by their things. But when I decide to prioritize people, then my possessions become tools that I am in charge of. And then I can use them for others rather than being used by them. And then finally, the most important thing is that the person who makes this decision finds himself on the path to true life, which is a life that is rich toward God. Jesus taught this. Whoever loses her life for Jesus' sake will find her life. And Jesus was as plain as day on this one. Losing your life for his sake means loving God and your neighbor as yourself. This is the path you should pursue, not possessions, but love for your neighbor as an expression of love for God. People, not possessions, the choice is yours. Before we sing one more song, let's pray. God, I thank you for the stories which Jesus told that challenge us to make a decision. For those which are easy and for those which are difficult, we thank you for this story which pushes us to decide to prioritize people and no longer possessions. God, I ask that the time that we find ourselves in would be an opportunity for all of us to see with open eyes how we have prioritized things over the people that you've put in our lives. Whatever those possessions are for which we have become greedy, whether material or otherwise, shine a light on them and then help us look down the road and see the terrible place that we will be led to unless we let go and instead decide to embrace the people that you have given us to love. I thank you that we are able to love because you have first loved us. Would you put that truth in our hearts in a way that makes us want to give love away? God, for every person in our lives who has been a giver and who has made our life better because of it, we give you thanks. 
Would you bring them to mind in this silence? Help us decide to love others as we have been loved in Jesus' name.